Welcome back to your insurance agent's favorite podcast, Beethoven Walks Into a Bar, where 50 minutes of listening could make your life 50% better or more. I'm Stephanie Brimhall, the Kansas City Symphony's Education Manager. I'm Mike Gordon, Principal Flute of the Kansas City Symphony. And I'm Jason Sieber, the Associate Conductor. So guys, right now, we are now several episodes into our third season here at Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. We have been having so much fun, especially when we've ever, whenever we've had the opportunity to talk with more of our musicians and with key staff members from the KC Symphony about our new subscription series, which has just launched, and also learning about their roles within the symphony, especially as those roles have evolved over the course of this season. That's right. And today we are going to be sitting down with one of our wonderful musicians who's been with the Kansas City Symphony since 1996. She is not only our assistant principal and currently acting associate principal of the second violin section, she plays another very important role within the organization as head of the musicians committee. Please welcome to the show, Christy Velliser. Hi, Christy. Welcome, Christy. Hi, thanks for having me. This is great. Nice to be with you all. Great to have you. We're going to talk a lot today about your role in the Musicians Committee um, of a professional symphony orchestra, and more specifically, your role as the leader of this committee um, this season. But first, can you tell us what the past year has been like for you as a musician, and then what it's been like to come back to Hellsberg Hall and make music again with your friends and colleagues? It's been a really interesting road this, you know, since last March, you know, Nobody knew how long this was going to be. You know, initially we thought, oh, we're just going to be out for a month. We're going to be out for a few weeks. And it kept going. And so I think at the point at which we all realized and I realized this was going to be a long haul, it it sort of it shifted your mindset. Like immediately you had to think, okay, this is not going to be normal. We're going to have to think differently about everything. Um, And so it's been a really interesting time period to, to really kind of approach everything differently and to and to think about you know, our role as musicians and, and the symphony with the, with our community and with our audiences and and everything has to be thought of in a different framework. And so, um, it's been exciting. It's been a little scary. It's been, um, it's been a lot of work, but it's been, um, interesting to see kind of how, how our perspective has changed on the music and how we present our music and it's challenged us to think differently, which I think is always a good thing. It's always good to shake things up a little bit. So I think that's it's interesting because, you know, we I think when an outside somebody from the outside is looking at an orchestra, you think, OK, well, the musicians are there and they um, they get their music. They play the music that's put in front of them. And kind of that's their role. Their role is to play the music and then the administration's role to make sure all the chairs are on stage and make sure, you know, like do all of the artistic planning and make sure that, you know, we know what's on every program and make sure the lights in the stage are turned. I mean, you know, there's there's kind of a this delineation or an idea of a delineation between those two roles. But that's not the case um, in in most orchestras. We have a committee of musicians who kind of give input and feedback and Way get to weigh in on what a lot of people would imagine are administrative decisions like that. Can you just talk a little bit about what the role of a musicians committee actually is and the the responsibilities that you guys have within the organization? Yes, uh, the musicians committee is. Um, we have several committees in the orchestra, but the musicians committee is one of the elected committees. The musicians elect who they want to have represent them, and we work directly with management to on and everything related to our contract, um, from schedules to um, calendar issues to, um, you know, people, how many people on stage and time, you know, backstage issues, um, issues during performances. And it's it's a very collaborative relationship that we have. And we've worked really hard over many, many, many years to have that level of collaboration. Um, and it's uh, it's been a really good um, good experience. It's, a, it, it's work. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's time consuming, but it's worth it because it's, it makes everybody even all the more invested in the organization. Um, I kind of joke that the musicians committee is, it, it gives you an eye into how the sausage gets made. <laughs> so, I mean, it really gives you a chance to see the behind the scenes, how decisions get made, 
um, what the process is, and it gives us a chance to have some really valued and valuable input into those decisions. So when you talk about um, issues, just just for those listening who like literally have no idea, you know, what this behind like, what could come up that you guys might see, like, for instance, like in a calendar issue or something like that? Because um, yeah, sorry, it could be something as, sim- as simple as um normally if we have two rehearsals in a day, one is a two hour and one is a two and a half hour. It could be that a calendar comes out and we have, and it put two, two and a half hour rehearsals in a day or it put a three hour and a two and a half hour. And mm-hmm. so dealing with workload issues and making sure that um, the calendar is in line with what the workload um, requirements are in our, in our contract so that um, mm-hmm. musicians aren't, we're not having overuse injuries because people are working too long and making sure that we have also enough time in between services. So, Mm -hmm. and I, obviously I know the answer to that, but I, what I think (laughs) is interesting, what I think is interesting about it though, is that, you know, you guys are in place to make sure that the, the contract between the musicians and management is followed and Mm -hmm. enforced. And I think um, it's a really important role you know, pe- people on the outside may not even know that that exists or, you know, that rules like that are in place at all. It, they make a lot mm-hmm. of sense to be there. But I think, um, you know, especially when you're you have a brand new musician who's coming in straight out of college and, you know, is 22 and this is first job and, you know, I'm just excited to play. Like, it's really important to have these committees in place and people on these committees who have you know, been in the orchestra for a while to make sure that their colleagues understand all of the rules as well. Because it's, you know, the collective bargaining agreement is a really thick document of all sorts of different rules that I'm sure you know very well at this point. It is. One of the things that we um, have always done, we started this tradition, I want to say like at least 10 years ago, whenever we have new musicians come into the orchestra, um, the musicians committee always hosts a new member breakfast or a new member lunch before the season starts. And we walk them through everything. We tell them, you know, this is the culture we have here. This is why we do things this way. These are the different committees here. If you have a question about this, this is who you go and talk to. And here are who your musician representatives are. And, you know, really from day one with a, with a new member of the symphony, letting them know this is how we do things here. And this is our culture. And this is, we, we take it very seriously and we have worked really hard for this culture. And so you know, you're coming in and you're joining us. And so we want to bring you into the family and kind of let you know how we do things. I can say, I, I definitely remember from being a musician, a new musician, uh, you know, I barely remember, but it was like, you know, 13 years ago. Um, you, you basically, if you, anyone out there, if you get a job at some point in the future with the Kansas City Symphony, just don't worry about buying yourself breakfast for the first, like, <laughs> week to two weeks. I mean, you're fine. You don't need coffee in the house. You don't need eggs. You don't need cereal. You don't need anything because there is a a whole pageantry of breakfasts, um, all of which are, are, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm being silly, but they're, they're important. They're really a wonderful way to get to know, uh, you know, the leadership of the orchestra, both the musician leadership and, and our managers. I mean, it's it's really actually a, a terrific uh, thing that we do, and I hope all of our new musicians uh, always feel welcome because of that. Because I know I know I did, but you know. So to give everyone a little bit more perspective too. So Christy is the chair of this musicians committee. There are five musician members, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then um, we also have our artistic leadership committee, and I, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's fair to say that that body of nine musicians is really, you know, on on the front lines of dealing with, you know, day-to-day issues that come up under normal circumstances. But we are not in normal circumstances right now by any stretch. And one of the things that everyone should understand is that these nine people, especially these nine musicians, especially, and others, have really been on the front lines of every day figuring out, you know, how to do a new thing that we've never done before. It's just incredible. And first of all, just on the record, I want to say thank you for to you and and to my other colleagues who are doing that incredible work. But but talk a little bit about that because you know, normally it's more about, you know, making sure, you know, how do we how do we fit what we need to do within the rules of, of the collective bargaining agreement? But now I think anyway, it's like figuring out how to do everything one day at a time and there's no way to write rules and procedures into the document 
you know, new every day as circumstances change. So how, how are you all working on that? How has that process been? And, you know, where, where do you see us going? It's a great, great question. Um, one of the things when we um, negotiated our contract this summer, we worked into that um establishing a working group that was the artistic leadership committee, the musicians committee and um, members of the management team. And the whole purpose of that, and the idea was to meet at least every two weeks throughout this whole season to deal with issues as they come up. This group is charged with um, working with our wonderful infectious disease team from KU to set up safety protocols, which you know, prior to this, none of us would have ever dreamed that we would have been talking about safety protocols in the hall and how do you get into the hall and how many minutes with each group can people come in. And I mean, it's just the level of detail has been staggering, Um, but it's all really obviously incredibly important. And we've had great leadership from the KU team, but so it's been working on safety protocols. It's figuring out how our mobile music concerts are gonna function outdoors and what are the protocols with that and how are we going to and because nothing this year fits into a perfect box you know there's no you know you for the most part we have a really well-oiled machine at the Kansas City Symphony and from season to season we know you know what what our classical services look like what our pop services look like our opera ballet all of that stuff we everybody knows how it's supposed to work and this year that's all kind of thrown out the window And so a lot of it is a lot of creative thinking. And I've been so pleased with the camaraderie and the collaboration that we've had in this working group. Um, It's it's been a mountain to climb and we're still climbing it. Um, But we've been working really well together to solve problems together. And I think that really speaks highly to the commitment and the investment that everybody has to make sure that the symphony is successful. You know, you've mentioned um, this relationship between musicians and management and um, you know, like any, like any working environment, you know, there, there can be tensions that, you know, between the two entities. However, um, this is the first place that I've worked. And I know, you know, if, if you haven't worked in another orchestra or um, you know, you've certainly heard stories about other orchestra relationships between musicians and management and, and what we have here. Um, I'm speaking from the the management side is so special and really so unique um, among other orchestras. It's just it's so collaborative and there really is a mutual respect there. And I think that that you know it says a lot, obviously, about the personalities that are that are at the table, but also just about you know um, the culture that has existed um, here for for quite a while. That's really been carefully fostered. Um, because it it really is important, and it makes times like this. I can't even begin to imagine how difficult a lot of this would have been if we didn't already have that kind of foundation in place to begin with, and kind of a level of trust and a level of um, camaraderie, you know, ac- across the board. Um, and I, again, that says a lot about, you know, the people at the table and the personalities and the, you know, from the, from the top all the way down. And I think that's something really unique here in Kansas city. I, I would agree a hundred percent. And, and it's not always easy, you know, it, it's, right. collaboration takes time. It doesn't move really quickly. Um, but it's, again, it's everybody invested in a common goal. And I think, you know, through our trust and our mutual respect and also transparency, you know, we've, everybody understands how decisions are being made, why they're being made. And you might not always agree with them. And, and yeah, we've had some pretty, pretty challenging conversations and discussions and that's okay. Um, And that's, you know, those are necessary. You know, sometimes those hard discussions have to happen in order to make progress and to move forward and to understand where everyone's coming from. So, but yeah, it's, it's hard work, but it's absolutely 100% worth it. And and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Christy, you brought up a very important word, and that is transparency. Um, we have such a great relationship between musicians, staff. Our board is another element of that. Our board has always been um, very uh, instrumental in our success. We have a, a fantastic board of directors. And I think one of the things that makes it so successful is that we have four musicians on the board and they rotate as well. 
and you have been, uh, of course, one of those uh, members several times, I believe. Talk a little bit about how important that relationship is as well to have musicians on the board, because that is not every orchestra, not not every professional symphony orchestra has musicians from the orchestra on the board, at the meetings, in the room, you know, making the decisions for the organization as a whole when they happen. Talk about how important that is as far as transparency and communication within the organization. Uh, It's really extraordinary. And our board is, I can't say enough good things about our board. I mean, they really... They are an exceptional group of individuals who are committed and dedicated, and we are we are where we are right now because of them, and very, very grateful for their leadership and their wise decisions over many years. Um, having musicians actually serving on the board and not just, um, I don't know, what, for lack of a better word, just you know, placeholders in, in the room were actually at the table it is incredibly meaningful and it has allowed the musicians, many, many musicians who have been able to serve in that capacity to really establish personal relationships with members of the board. It's the connections that we have. It makes everything so much more personal. It makes it more individual. And it's it allows us to be in the room when the, when the decisions are being made from the top down. And that that's invaluable. And I think it's important on the other side too. I mean, it, you know, it's it's important to, you know, put a person with the title at the table, you know, for the board to see that too. And on the flip side, and to be able to have those board members, you know, meet with with you all and and learn about you and learn about your families and you know and and um, your particular you know chair and your your specific job. I think mm-hmm. it's important. For them to be able to see that as well. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things like we in every board meeting, there's always a musician's report. And usually whoever the chair of the musician's committee um, is usually the person that gives that. So lately that's been me. And we've always tried over the years to have that report not just be a, you know, a surface level report, but really letting the board know here is here are all the activities the musicians are doing. And in a in a normal year, I hate to say like in a typical year. A lot of that is here are all the things the musicians are doing in the community. It's not just right. um, what we're doing on stage, but here are all the, you know, whether they're um, part of our CCI or outreach program, whether it's um, special things, special concerts that musicians are performing, whether it's teaching or community outreach that has nothing to do with their instrument, but it's a way of showing how connected our musicians are to our community. And that's really important for our board members to to acknowledge. And a lot of us, you know, we live in close proximity to all of these people. And so we, there's a lot of crossover there. So that's, that's exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I've always thought it's uh, an extraordinary thing about this orchestra and I've had uh, the opportunity to, to uh, do some of this work as well. And it's actually one of the things that I find most strange right now uh, is that I have been disconnected. I feel from you know, some of these uh, incredible individuals for such a long time now, you know, I might exchange an email uh, every now and then uh, with a, with a board member uh, whom I know well, but, but other than that, you know, I'm not seeing those people and that's actually, um, that's actually a weird feeling, but, you know, I'm curious, we're talking about um, some of these really, really incredible people that have helped to build this organization. They're all, really important members of our community. They contribute a lot, uh, not only to our organization, but to many organizations, to the community. But I, I'm curious, you know, what what are you most proud of when it comes to how the Kansas City Symphony has served the community? Because I think that's something that we've really thought a lot about always as an organization, and um, especially now in new ways, you know, since we can't go into the hall and play concerts like we normally do. Um, especially this year, I'm, I'm really proud of the way we have found, we found a way to be with our audiences and be with our community. And we have taken this opportunity, not as a time to close in, but we have found, we've decided we're going to go out and we're going to bring music to as many corners of the metro area as we possibly can. And that has been phenomenal. And the joy and the wonderful personal connections that we're having with people when we go out and do these mobile music concerts 
is really terrific. And it's something I hope that we can find a way to continue because it is true. Not everybody is going to come down to Hellsburg Hall. And so we want to make sure that, that the, that we keep those connections out throughout the whole community and, and not just now during, you know, during this pandemic, but I hope that it continues beyond that because it's, it's really been something special. And I think it, it, brings people to it brings music to the community but it also brings people in who might not have ever seen the symphony and might not have ever experienced this and we're bringing it in a way that's very accessible great varieties of music it's giving the musicians uh, you know a chance to play thing normally as you know in a typical season beyond the artistic leadership committee giving input for programming we don't really have a lot of control over what is being performed on stage from week to week. I mean, it's, we are given the repertoire and we prepare the pieces and this whole fall, the musicians have been playing together in groups that they want to play with and they're picking their own music and they're, you know, they're really putting an individual stamp on it. And I think it, I'm really proud of how this has gone. And I, and I think it's really something that we should cultivate and we should continue. So we chatted with um, our executive director, Danny Beckley, just a couple weeks ago, uh, actually. And he, we, we put the same question up, you know, we're doing these awesome concerts in the community. Are these going to continue? Um, and he's emphatic. I mean, absolutely. You know, this, I think what he said was, once you open that door, you can't close it, you know, and we don't plan on closing it. So um, you're absolutely right. I mean, I, I think it's a gift to the community, but it's also a gift to the musicians in, you know, uh, this ability to really put your stamp on it. And mm -hmm. um, you can hear that in the performance. Um, I think, you know, when the group is playing and it's a group of people who have, you know, said, I want to play, you know, like we want to play together. We've, we've wanted to play together for a while. And actually I was thinking in that conversation with Danny, what I think is really cool, you know, it's, it's not these, ensembles that have been put together by you know the personnel managers it's you, what you would normally think if you have a symphony woodwind quintet it would be all the principal wins right but we have two woodwind quintets playing on these this mobile music box series and neither of them are principal wins uh, there's you know it's a mixed group of of players that said hey i want to play with you you know like i haven't played with you before i'd really like to work with you or i love you know, I love playing with you all the time. I want to play with you some more. And I think that adds that adds a lot. And you can hear that come through in the music. Yeah. So all that to say, yes, it is continuing. <laughs> we heard it from the man himself Yeah, <laughs> a couple our, episodes ago. Yeah, no, our group, uh, I mean, all the groups are fabulous, but I'd like to think that our group is really awesome. <laughs> yeah, our group is a, it, it's a darn good group. We had a, I've we had heard a string, you guys string quartet with flute and harp, which is a really unusual group of musicians, but we found some of the coolest repertoire to play. And like, there's a piece that we have been ending our concerts with where the string players, we're all playing with guitar picks and, mm. and we're strumming and it is the coolest thing. And audiences just, just go bananas for it. Um, and so, and our, our harp player um, had this great depth of knowledge of different repertoire that we could could make work. And even some of the, um, you know, pops tunes that we've been playing, you know, she's found a way to make a, make a part to add in with it. And we've For done herself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's been, it's been great. And we've had a mix, you know, we don't all necessarily all six of us play together, but sometimes it's a quartet, sometimes it's a duo. And so there's a lot of variety and it's, it's been really fun. We've had a blast. So, uh, Christy, I will I will vouch uh, for the awesomeness of your group because I <laughs> I can recall, and I think I might have mentioned this actually when we had uh, when we had Catherine on as well, our harp player. But there were at least one or two occasions uh, this fall when when your group and my woodwind quintet were rehearsing in Webster Garage at the same time. <laughs> and, yes. <laughs> and so what we do is we just go on on different levels of the garage and we. You know, while we were playing, we more or less couldn't hear each other, and it wasn't it wasn't distracting, or at least that's what we thought. I don't know if you guys were cursing at us while we were playing our uh, noisy woodwind quintets, but uh, I do have to say they were above us, and it just sounded like every time we stopped, you know, the angels were coming out of the clouds <laughs> from somewhere above in the parking garage. I mean, it was nice. It was. Uh, 
it was incredible. But um, so you know, we've talked a lot about uh, about your uh, committee work, which you know, by the way, uh, is not something you've only done recently. I mean, I know you've engaged in this work at various points um, through a lot of really uh, crucial moments in the in the evolution of uh, of the symphony, and um, and I think you're your perspective on, you know, where we are and where we've been is just invaluable. But um, there is something uh, truly special about this moment in the Beethoven Walks Into a Bar podcast. And also, um, I do want to get back to the fact that you, you know, you play the violin. Someone should probably remind (laughs) you. Yeah, last time I checked, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, last time you checked, you played the violin. So, So you all are listening to a podcast now with three Rice University graduates yes. and Jason. Yeah, I'm the oddball out here. <laughs> so I am, I am not an owl. Owls. I've never been an owl. I have a little bit of owl jealousy right now, though. Owl jealousy. So we, we've mentioned probably several times that Stephanie and I uh, were there. Uh, we overlapped a bit, and, and we did not overlap with you, Christy. But tell us a little bit about you know your journey uh, through life that led you to the Kansas City Symphony and, of course, led you to your husband, Dan, who is a wonderful pianist, and I'll let you comment on his qualities as a husband. Um, but te- <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> tell us a little more about yourself. <laughs> um, oh, gosh, how far back do you want to go? Um, I started playing the violin when I was very young, and I believe it or not, I actually met Dan, my husband, when we were campers at Interlochen. We were both. He he actually yeah. played the cello. And we were campers and we, oh, played, wow. we were playing in the same orchestra. He was on the inside of the first stand of cellos and I was on the inside of the first stand of violins. And we kept getting in trouble because we were dorking around and like like cracking jokes and stuff. And yeah, our, our parents were so proud. Um, and we were, <laughs> we were just, we were great friends, absolutely fantastic friends. And we stayed that way and we had a, had a kind of a cohesive group through multiple summers at Interlochen. And... You know, I went off to college at Oberlin, at the Oberlin Conservatory, where I did my undergrad, and ended up at Rice for graduate school because at that time there were a number of professors from Oberlin that were um, moving to teach at Rice, and so a lot, a lot of us followed our professors there, and it was just it worked out such that I was graduating from Oberlin, and that was right at the time where my um, teacher Kathy Winkler was going to be moving to Rice, and so. I went with her and followed her there. And lo and behold, I was coming out of the shepherd school and there was Dan walking in. And I said, what are you doing here? And he said, well, I'm going here. And I said, well, where's your cello? He goes, I don't play the cello. I said, well, what are you doing here? And he goes, "Uh, I play piano. And I said, since when? And he said, well, I got in here, so it must be pretty good. Um, So... (laughs) Um, so as it turns out, we had a, had a group of us that actually had known each other from way back in our interlocking days. And we all ended up, a bunch of us ended up at the same graduate school, um, at, at Rice. And Dan and I actually played in a trio together, piano trio, and kind of then the rest was history. Um, I, and I started playing with the Houston Symphony while I was in at Rice. I, I started subbing with them and then I was, um, fortunate enough to be able to have a one-year position with them that was extended a couple times. Um, and I was able to go on tour with them and it was, it, they are a terrific group of people and I have really great memories of that. And then I got my job here and, and also to the, at the same time I got my job here, I also want a job with the Grant Park Symphony in Chicago. So at <laughs> Before I before we were married and before I had kids, because you could do these kinds of things before all that stuff happens, um, mm-hmm. I would play the symphony season. I would have one day to get to Chicago. I would play a 10-week Chicago season, and then I'd have one day to get back before the symphony season here started. Yeah, it was insane. It was great. No. Well, no, you thank it you. It was fabulous, you know. Yeah. Well, you might not be quite that busy still, but I, I know that you also <laughs> keep yourself plenty busy by being one of the musicians and we, I mean, we have many of musicians in the orchestra, Mike included and, and you and many others who also teach a lot of mm-hmm. uh, high school, middle school, college students in the area. Um, I had the honor and privilege of working with two of your awesome kids, Sam and Addie last year at Missouri All-State Orchestra. So I know what a great teacher you are. Talk a little bit about your 
teaching studio and how that's a very important part of your career as a musician as well, helping the next generation if they want to become musicians to be able to achieve that. Yeah, I I have had, a, I've been very fortunate to have some really, really great students to work with. And I is have- Betty- Betty is your student too, right? Betty was Betty, my student too, yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. She won our concerto competition yep. this past oh, year yeah, yeah. and and she didn't get to play with us and I still I'm just I'm still working on finding a way to make that happen. Yeah, at she's some at point. the University of Michigan now. Yeah. Oh, cool. Go Blue yeah. Man. Me too. Yeah. <laughs> she's doing great. Um yeah, I you know, the mentors that I had growing up, the teachers that I had, um the impact that they had on me and my career I I view teaching as a way of not just helping kids, you know, hone their skills and and improve their abilities on the violin, but it's really it's it's bigger than that. It's because uh, to be honest, most of the kids that I'm working with in private privately, a lot of them aren't going to become professional musicians, but they love what they're doing and and to cultivate that love of the art and the love of the craft and to help them rise to the highest level that they can so that when they go to college, they can have options. They can choose, mm-hmm. you know, do they want to, do they want to play chamber music? Do they want to have play an orchestra? It, even whether they're a music major or not, it's also cultivating our future audiences and our future, the the future of our industry really. Um, right. So I, I really enjoy teaching to, to be honest, most of the time though, with our, with our regular symphony schedule, I, I keep my studio pretty small um, because I really want to make sure that I can devote as much time and attention as I can to my students. But I, I, I view it as yes, as a teacher, but also really as a mentor to, because a lot of times kids will come in and they're having a hard time deciding what do they want to do and what direction do they want to go in and what are their options. And so talking to them a lot, especially with the high school kids that I work with, what are their options? You know, if a kid, mm-hmm. cause sometimes the kids will come in and say, well, if I, if I only play violin in high school and then I stop, I don't have any other options beyond that. It's either I have to be a professional musician or I can't do anything else. And so helping them understand here are all the things that you could do here, you know, and, and helping them know what the, that the music industry is not just orchestral performance. There are all sorts of things that kids can do. I had one student who ended up being a physics major at University of Illinois, but really got involved in music technology. Mm. So there's all sorts of, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating seeing, seeing kids where they're at and meeting them at that level and then helping them um, expand their horizons. It's really, it's great. Yeah. I love that you say that because I mean, obviously my role in the symphony is as the education manager is not, I don't work one-on-one with kids, but I have the same view on that in that, you know, I'm trying to instill a love for, the art that we do and, you know, and to be able to help guide kids to make those connections with the orchestra kind of where they are at their, at their level, where they, you know, meet them where they are and show them all the possibilities of, you know, what an orchestra is and can be. And um, so I think we're similar (laughs) in that way. Mine is just on a much broader spectrum. (laughs) Oh, and Stephanie, I can't say enough about all the great things that you do for, for our education department and for all these kids Aww. around the metro, it's it's terrific. Aww, it's really we're great. all quietly clapping. <laughs> here, all on our Zoom Mike is slow clapping. Agree. No, you know one of the things too with teaching that I've I've found too is that a lot of parents aren't totally sure what to tell their high school kids about. Yeah, right. What are, what what is next? You know, when they go off to college, you know what what are their options? So it's been I've had a lot of conversations with the parents of the students that I've worked with to kind of say, you know, it's not an all or nothing. Here are some, here are some avenues that you want to go down. And so it's, it's interesting. It's, you get to, it's relationships. Well, Christy, I would love nothing more than to uh, sit here and continue this conversation, but I know you have such uh, (laughs) a healthy respect for fine print. And (laughs) We have some fine print uh, here at uh, Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. And in fact, it is so fine and so binding and so vital that it, it, it may have been too fine for you to even see. But it's, it's required in our bylaws uh, that uh, we ask you two very important questions. Uh, so I hope that uh, you'll be able to come up with satisfactory answers. Um, and the, no the pressure, questions thanks. Are, no pressure. No, it's going to be just fine. Don't worry. Um, 
So the questions are as follows. And again, I remind you, this is in the fine print, <laughs> section 12, paragraph B of the Constitution of Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. I um, still haven't seen this document, by the way. That's not an accident. <laughs> <laughs> it's in a secure location. Don't worry. Um, question one is, what is your favorite uh, beverage of choice? Could be non-alcoholic, alcoholic, juice, water, coffee, beer, anything you, you can think of. And number two uh, is, you know, if you were enjoying this beverage at a uh, establishment of some sort and in walked Mr. Ludwig von Beethoven, what, what might you ask Beethoven in a conversation? Wow. Okay. Well, the first question without, without, with any, without any reservation is uh, margarita on the rocks, no salt. Oh, no salt. Yes. Interesting choice. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I like the salt part, but I, I like the, I like the rest of your answer. Too. Yeah. Um, if he walked into a bar, um, I mean, it'd be kind of a nerdy question. So, you know, I, right. I want to know, you know, when he wrote the Beethoven violin concerto, did he have it out for some, for a violinist that like <laughs> he really, I mean, it's one of my favorite pieces. Don't get me wrong. But oh my God, it's like a, it's, it's like a minefield to play <laughs> yeah. it in tune and to play it well. Oh, all those octaves! Oh my God, um, yeah. <laughs> to play it really well and playing like like really why why like so you think he had it out for somebody? That's you want to know who that was? Either that or he or, or like there was a challenge. It was like I ah. dare you to write something so hard and so exposed that only a very few people can play it and pull it off really well. <laughs> and the crazy part is when you're listening to it, it doesn't sound difficult compared to a lot of other violin concerti. No, it doesn't. Tec from a technical standpoint, it doesn't sound hard and, and the melodies are simple and you think, oh, because like you said, when someone's playing it really well, it all just comes off so naturally, but it is deceptively difficult. Oh my all God, over the place. it is so hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and you're right. It, it is, it is deceptively difficult. And when it's done well, it sounds effortless. Sublime. Yeah. Yep. yep. So that would Indeed. be my total, that'd be my total nerdy question to ask him. I like so. it. I like it. Those are good answers. We, we they accept are. all of those answers. As you know, uh, we have a little game we like to play each time we have uh, a guest here from the Kansas City Symphony family. Uh, so it's time for everyone's favorite segment of the show, <laughs> Bar Talk. Not, yes. not Bar Talk, Bar Talk. Very clever. <laughs> Two words. And now uh, Jason and Stephanie have hosted this the most. And uh, while I can definitely boast about my many victories in weeks past, neither Ooh. Jason nor Stephanie has ever won this most ever. important game. Rub is it that in. true? It really is it's true. It's really true. We won. It's really That's true. Horrifying. It's either been the guest or Mike every time. I know. I think it might be stacked. I, <laughs> mm, I wouldn't. I mean, there was that one we'll incident see. we had a guest score and things went off the rails but yeah you wanna, won that one i don't want to talk forget. about that it was it, it was rigged um anyway so <laughs> oh uh yeah oh boy so i'm hosting today uh to give stephanie and jason more of a fair shot however uh my money is definitely on christy and uh you know <laughs> <Mine> the rules <laughs> no pressure you know the rules as uh, as always i will ask a series of questions you'll have a maximum of 30 seconds to respond and please support your opinions every time you hear this sound that means i like what you're saying and you get a point but whenever you hear this sound it basically means wrong answer even though these are all opinions, opinions. <laughs> so clearly this is a judgment-free zone, I see. Yeah. It's a judgment-free yeah, zone. Stephanie and I hear the horn quite often. That's why we never win. <laughs> As always, our fearless producer, Tim, is keeping score. And for once, I can't win. So good luck, everyone. <laughs> I'm sure you'll still find a way, Mike. <laughs> all right. First question. Which violin section, first or second violin, is more vital to the success of an orchestra. Stephanie, you're first. That's a horrifying question. That's why we made you go first. <laughs> okay. Well, since we have been talking about collaboration and about 
reaching across the aisles in uh, in this podcast today, I'm saying that neither is more important, and it is how well they interact with one another and listen to each other that is the most important. Christy's shaking her head. She she hates me. Oh, no. I don't care about the buzzer. I just don't want to make Christy mad. <laughs> I, have, I, right. I felt I felt as my role on the um, administrative <laughs> side, I had to be very neutral. <laughs> I mean, that's all well and good, but neutral doesn't win championships. So uh, well, that Christy, was a negative yeah. for me. All right, Christy, you're up. Yeah. Let's see what you can come up with. There's no question. It's the second violins. We are the glue that is holding things together. Without us. Really, you can't have the first without the seconds, and the seconds really, you know, it, we're the show. <laughs> we're the show. Yeah, I love right answer. People don't realize it, but they're paying money to hear those second violins. They just don't know it. <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, Jason? I am also going to, without a doubt, say the second violins, because the first violins usually have the melody. The second violins almost always especially in like Beethoven and Brahms, Mozart, they always have difficult passages that don't lie under the fingers well. They are the usually the motor of the orchestra along with the violas, especially in classical repertoire. And if they're not rock steady or they're not playing their part perfectly, it doesn't matter what the first violins do. So, And plus, you, you can always imagine what the melody sounds like. You could sing it in your head. you got to hear that inner harmony part. Second violin. Uh, I think Jason is overtime. I think he should lose <laughs> points for overtime. Jason ah, is overtime and blatantly pandering, but he supported <laughs> his opinion very well and in excellent detail. So Thank he, you, Mike. Thank he you. gets a bell. Thank you. Uh, okay. We're moving on now to our second question. And and this this is tricky, so so just think carefully. Which violin excerpt from the orchestral repertoire is the hardest to nail in an audition? Christy, you're up first. Oh man! As, I think this is good because Christy has had the most violin audition experience of us all. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, I would have to say any excerpt from Debussy La Mer is oh. so mm. hard to play because it's one of those pieces where you can play it in the group within the orchestra with the, the safety net of your colleagues around you. But boy, when you got to play it by yourself with with no conductor and no context, it is hard to pull off and do it well. La Mer, true. True story. Very difficult piece. Yeah. Yeah. Am I next? I think I'm next, right? Yeah. Yes, Jason. La Mer is difficult, without a doubt, Christy. I'm going to, as a recovering violinist who still goes to <laughs> VA meetings, violinist <laughs> anonymous, um, I'm going to have to say Mendelssohn Scherzo because, and this is a difficult excerpt for many That's instruments. That's a clarinet answer. It's, you know, it's a difficult excerpt for many instruments, but I, every time I worked on that excerpt, it was so hard to not only be extremely steady and consistent with the bow stroke as you cross strings and everything. But there's a lot of dynamic detail in there that is really difficult to bring out extremely well while trying to do all the other things technically. So I th I always think that's a make or break excerpt for violinists. <laughs> yes, another excellent point. answer, another point. All right, Woo! Stephanie, let's see if you can get on the board here. All right, well, as I am someone who has never played a violin audition or sat on a committee for a violin audition, I have opted to phone a friend and I texted my my wrong game. My good friend and colleague Justin White and I asked oh. him, who has sat in on many violin auditions, what yes. is the violin excerpt that gets screwed up the most? And my answer is Don Juan, according to Justin mm. White. Because he says that's the one that <laughs> that most people trip over in a violin audition. Oh, I get a point. Yeah, no, yeah a, a, because a point. I mean, nice. you you cheated entirely, <laughs> but you came up with a very valid answer because that that excerpt is just awful. And actually, I know. Total aside, I know a wonderful woman, a good friend of mine, now in the Cleveland Orchestra, who got so frustrated by that piece, she actually made up words to the entire first page, which is the excerpt nice. that everyone plays. And I couldn't begin to even give an example of what that sounds like, but she had a word for every single note and it was incredible. And she should win a job just because of that. Were most of them four letter words? <laughs> I was going to say, I would assume there's a lot of swear words. Into a bar. No, oh no, no. This, this woman is, oh, she's just sweeter than snow and she would never use improper words 
Snow is a four-letter word. You use snow. I would agree. I mean, Don Juan is brutal. It is brutal. And usually it's the same spot. There's actually two spots that that if you're going to crash and burn, it's you're going to crash and burn hard. But I, what I always think is so funny with Don Juan is when we play it when you play it in orchestra, the mm-hmm. first page sounds like a million bucks. I mean, you could call Deutsche Grammophon <laughs> and you could record it, boom, right then and there. And then you turn the page, you get to the second page, and everybody falls off the cliff because <laughs> <laughs> everybody knows the first That's page. So true. And then, <laughs> That's Crash so true, Chrissy. I remember uh, the CIM orchestra, one of the two CIM orchestras playing it in my first semester at CIM, and that is exactly what happened. It was like, oh my, I think it was the very first rehearsal uh-huh. I heard the orchestra. I'm like, oh my God, this orchestra is incredible. And then they turned the page, and it's like, all right, they're human. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it was still good, but it wasn't as good as that first page. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, everybody got a point that round. So, uh, Stephanie, I'm afraid you didn't gain on the field, but there there are two more chances to uh, make fine. it ground. So, uh, question number three here. There are so many great violin concertos. If you could only hear one for the rest of your life, which one would it be? Jason, you'll start us out on this one. Oh, that is tough because I do think the Beethoven is one of the greatest concertos, as we talked about already, but probably my favorite to listen to is the Sibelius. I think it's has everything. It has the lyricism. It has a really fun, peppy last movement. It has that Sibelius awkwardness in it that's unique just to him. And I just love the piece. And no matter who's playing it, as long as it's a good performance, I'm always about the Sibelius. See, that's oh, the wrong dear. <laughs> wow, the yeah. wrong answer. It's the wrong oh, answer. dear. It's the wrong Yikes. answer. Because All right, good luck, you two. Well, yeah. Okay, well, I thought I'm that was a pretty just... good answer. Revise my answer. I have very strong feelings about violin concertos, and it, that was not. Do you the want right us answer. to say the Mike Gordon violin concerto number eight or something? I will, is that what this I will is? add my comments when it is appropriate. Okay, okay. All right, Stephanie, you're up. All right. Well, I okay. Don't you can't do the horn now because this is not my answer. But I do. I do love the Spalius. However, my favorite is the Brook. Uh, uh, first, uh, uh, what Ooh. am I saying? Brook violin concerto. Yes. Yeah. The Brook. It's my. Number one. My favorite. Number one. Yeah. I'll I'll give you that one. That's a good one. It's little, I mean, very, it's a great one. Often heard and yet in a way a little off the beaten path. Yes. I like it. Oh. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. Wonderful choice. And Christy. Oh, man. Christy's face right now, she's just totally, she's like daring Mike to put, to put, do the buzzer. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Bring it on. Um, Dvorak is really one of my favorite violin concertos Ooh. ever. Um, it is it is lush and beautiful, and the harmonies are just oh, spectacular. But also the other one. I mean, if I had to, oh, it's so hard. Dvorak is one of my favorite. I know I can only pick one, but Dvorak's my favorite. But I gotta say, Corn Gold is a close second. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, I mean, yeah. that's Good like choice. movie music. It is yeah. unbelievable, and it's phenomenally difficult. But God, it's a great piece. All right, we'll take that. He'll accept it. Dvorak is great, of course, and and Korngold can go on the desert island that is just barely within swimming distance of the bigger desert island that has that has Dvorak. So good <laughs> good thinking. You want a concerto for each of your <laughs> islands in the archipelago of your desertion. Um, okay, number four, the final question. They're never going to make me host again. I can assure you of that. So I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just. I will say the game is taking a little longer than a normal like I'm going down in flames, and Tim will edit all this out. Okay, question number four. All three of you have dogs. So Stephanie has Grizzly Bear. Christy yes. has the lovable Piper, and Jason, of course, Puccini. Which dog would be the best one to bring? If we had a bring your pet to work day at the Kansas City Symphony, Stephanie. Okay, well, first, um, what kind of dog is Piper? What what do you have? She's an Australian Shepherd. How old is she? She's eighteen months. There's no oh, age dear. discrimination here. <laughs> well, listen. Okay, this this totally defines my answer. Then it it, it yes. So I would Hopefully. vote Puccini in a heartbeat. I'm sorry. Um, but Grizz is out because he's five months and he is, he will eat anything. So there is nothing that <laughs> needs to be eaten at the Hellsburg Hall. Like we, that's a no go. And then um, we had a Border Collie for a very long time. And Border Collies and Australian Shepherds are very similar. And I can't imagine 
Piper would would want to be still for very long in in the workplace. So I'm going with Puccini because he's kind of lazy and very sweet. Lazy? Is he not lazy? Wow. It's not a lazy. Bit. That, a that bit. gets the right answer because normally <laughs> I think it's important to support your own pet. But in this case, we are considering the environment. That's right. It's, it's important <laughs> not to eat instruments. Yeah. Uh, uh, all right, Christy, you're up. Uh, there is not a chance in this universe that my dog should go to work. <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> she will. Yeah. She, she's not a sit still dog. She is still very much in high energy. I want to play. I want to play. I want to run. Yeah. So I've, I haven't met Puccini, but from what I hear, Puccini seems to be the one. Mm. Mm-hmm. Lots of points for Poochie. All right. Poochie, popular dog. Jason, All what right. do you got? So last season we had a similar question, which dog would be best in show? I think we were talking with Catherine, uh, mm-hmm. our harp- harpist. But this is a different question. You know, Puccini does not get along well with other dogs, but he really gets along with people. And there's a lot of great people at the Kansas City Symphony. Mm-hmm. And last year I took some flack for not voting for my own dog. So I am going to say Puccini also because he is a sweetheart and people would love him and he would love people. I think maybe yes, the winner the winner of Bar Talk. I think Puccini just won the whole game. Puccini yeah. won the game. Puccini wins. <laughs> yes. All right, Tim. All right. Tim's, Tim Tim's is added up the tallying score, it up. There is smoke coming out of his Sharpie. I think I know who won. Yeah, that's what I thought. Ooh, Dang we have a tie for last for third place. <laughs> Jason. Why is it a tie for Why third place and not second because, place? Because it's like golf, you know how it's like, last ah, place. You know, it's fine. It's okay. where it's I'm used to being. Yeah, it's a tie for last place with uh, Stephanie and Jason, <laughs> two points, and Christy, our guest, just knocked it out of the park with four points. <laughs> nice job, Gosh, Christy. She nice just job. ran the board. Congrats. Thank you. Well done. The trophies right, in the mail. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, as the winner of the coveted Bar Talk Trophy. That doesn't exist. Um, you get to uh, recommend listening for our audience this week. So, is there any is there anything that you've been listening to that you um, want our 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 listeners to check out? Anything new? Anything at all? Um, I have to say, one of the things that has kind of gotten me through this whole time period are the solo box suites. Yo Yo Ma's recording of the solo box yeah. suites are just. It is just calming and beautiful and perfect in every way. But also, I'm not going to lie. If a really good recording comes on of Mahler 5, I will stop everything I'm doing and listen to that. It's, yeah. That's right. I know. I remember we did a Girl Scout presentation together, the three of us, you, me, and Stephanie, and and we discussed our mutual love of that as our favorite orchestral piece. It is just one of my absolute favorites. Yeah, yeah. Well, we will put nice. links to these um, Yo-Yo's uh, box suites, and we'll also pick a great recording of Mahler 5 to include in the show notes for all of our listeners to check out. I also want to remind everybody that if you want to subscribe to the Symphony's digital um, classical, mu- uh, classical series, you can do that at kcsymphony.org or by visiting my symphony seat. Org, and you can catch all of the wonderful music that our musicians are cooking up in Hellsberg Hall as we speak. Thanks again for joining us, Christy. It's awesome having you on today. Thank you so much. It's been great. On our next episode, we'll be talking with one of my most influential teachers from back in my college days at Rice University, my mentor and friend, Maestro Larry Ratcliffe. Larry has conducted all over the world, including right here with the Kansas City Symphony. He was a longtime music director of both the San Antonio Symphony and my hometown orchestra, the Rhode Island Philharmonic. But many musicians know him best as the conductor of the student orchestras at Rice University. As a devoted educator, he has touched the lives of an untold number of aspiring young musicians in the United States, including Stephanie, Jason, and myself. We are so looking forward to catching up with Larry and learning more about how he has truly shaped the culture of music. Next time on Beethoven Walks Into a Bar. Bye.